This morning, we come to part six in our series, Answering Anxiety. And maybe you're thinking, wow, we're, we're going on this for a while now. We're six sermons in, and my heart is just to give you these texts. This is a gift from God to us and from me to you, that you would be able to work through these texts in your mind, thinking through them freely so that they would minister to your own heart. And even as you then encounter others whom you love, and they express to you their struggles with anxiety, you would be able to pull these texts out and open the Scriptures to them and help them to rejoice in their Father, in their Shepherd, and in the God of peace. Of course, you remember now that the central theme of our series is fear not because we are fearing the Lord. To know God as He is, as He is revealed in Scripture, to be in awe of the Lord and then be anxious for nothing, to be amazed, to be in awe, to love Him, to trust Him, to rest in His presence with you, His promises to you. This is the principle that God spoke to His people when they uh, feared entering the promised land. This is one of the major themes in the books of like Deuteronomy and Joshua. Remember how fearful the people of Israel were as they were coming into the promised land. God had told them who he was to them. God had demonstrated himself in power so many times. I mean, from the plagues in Egypt to the Red Sea crossing to feeding them manna, from giving them water out of the rock to making sure their shoes didn't wear out and protecting them in so many ways. Now he said, go into the land, I promised it to you. And they saw what was before them and they were fearful and anxious. And so this is one of the themes of Deuteronomy and Joshua that We're not to fear any created thing, but to fear the Lord alone. Let me read to you a few verses from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 20, verses 2 through 4. It says, And when you draw near to the battle, the priests shall come forward and speak to the people, and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Isn't that the idea right there? And think about the situation that the Israelites were called to and how they were commanded even there to fear not, to go into battle against nations of people with their puny little force of people. God said, fear not. God invited them, commanded them to count on supernatural activities of deliverance by God. And did he do it? Over and over again, God proved his faithfulness and his power. Deuteronomy 28, 58. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. See, that's the other command, right? Put those together. Israel was commanded, fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. And fear not, don't panic, don't be in dread of them. Anything else that would be threatening as we draw near the battle. Fear not, fear God. He is a glorious and awesome God. He goes with you. He will fight for you in Christ. And that's the essence of overcoming anxiety and fear. And so this morning we look again at Philippians 4, 4 4-9 to explore this theme more fully. Main idea, as you know, and you can see that in your outlines this morning, follow God's plan for guarding your heart against anxiety with his peace. Remember the center of this text, verses 6 and 7. He says in verse 6 here, do not be anxious about anything. And the goal of what Paul tells us here is that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit forbids through Paul. Don't be anxious And what he has in goal for us is peace. Follow this course of response to your anxiety, verses 4 through 9, 
And as you do, this will result, the peace of God, which passes understanding, surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the, that's the structure of this text. And remember in this text, I want to review several things with you that we talked about last week. Remember the scope of anxiety that is addressed in this text. Do not be anxious about anything. All sinful anxiety is excluded. And remember the place where anxiety is addressed and changed. Our hearts and minds. That's the place where anxiety turns to peace, not in the changing of our circumstances. If we're going to effectively be able to answer and overcome anxiety, we must fully accept that truth that the conquest of our anxiety isn't the altering of our circumstances, but from a change in our hearts and our minds. There's the center of our being. So then remember the circumstances that Paul and the Philippians faced that were still unresolved at the writing of this letter. And because of which he says, don't be anxious about anything. Remember what they are? Christian persecution, we talked about it last week. Christian persecution, ministry setbacks, prison for the Apostle Paul. Relational conflict, there was gospel defense going on. There was envious preachers competing with Paul. There was disagreement among church members. There was doctrinal struggle in the church. There was financial struggles, the Philippian people and Paul's. There was declining health, Epaphroditus. You can see all these throughout the letter. And so Paul still exhorts them, be at peace, be anxious for nothing. Well, how is that possible? Follow God's plan for guarding your heart against this anxiety with His peace. So how does that happen? Well, we'll look at that in just a moment. But I want us to focus for a few more minutes here just on verse 7. Let me, let me review this with you. Here's the goal, remember? What does this verse mean? What, what's the objective? What, where are we going with our anxiety? We want this peace, the God of peace, to give us His peace. The God of peace will be with you. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pull out some of those phrases and just remind you of their meaning so we know what we're talking about. First, the peace that, that we want, that we desire, that can displace anxiety, it's God's peace. It's God's peace. Again, verse 9, the God of peace, and here we have the peace of God. And, and that, that probes me, that causes me to think, well, what is this peace? Well, it's the peace that God has personally. Romans 16.20, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Right? It's a conquering God. There's, there's no being in the universe that can compete with God. There's no being stronger than He. There's no one that gives Him a sense of anxiety. He is, he is in control of all. He is powerful than all. And it's the peace that God gives. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. He has it, he gives it from the Spirit. Let me draw your attention to a text. Maybe shine a little more light on this. John 14. Look at, look at John 14 with me. It's been several years now since we've walked through the Gospel of John. But Jesus says something very similar here. John 14, verses 25 to 31. Of course, Jesus' disciples were very anxious, worried, upset, troubled at His departure from them. He told them He was about to leave. He's going to the Father by way of the cross, by way of the grave. And He says in verse 25 to them, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, this is a sermon all itself, but let me just pull out a few themes that couple together with Jesus saying, I give you my peace. This peace comes from the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? He's going to send the Spirit. That's a theme to think about there. This Spirit reminds us of Christ's words. That's an avenue of receiving this peace. This is a peace unlike the world's. The world's peace is based on circumstances that we can control, which is really a farce. Christ's peace is based on relationship with the Father and the stability that comes from knowing He is greater than all and I belong to Him. He loves me and I love Him. The Father is greater. Do you see that theme there? Christ's sovereignty over this whole event, right? The sovereignty of Christ gives us peace. The conquest of Satan, He has no claim on me. And if we're in Christ, Satan has no claim on us. Notice also a few chapters over, 16. John 16, verses 32 to 33, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each one to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take Heart, I have overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. I give you my peace. Christ's peace is an unshakable peace. Even Christ here is alone. All His disciples left Him, but that doesn't concern Him. Why? Because the Father is with Him. That's the kind of peace Jesus has. The presence of the Father in the world you'll have tribulation. This peace is still present even with tribulation. We can't remove the tribulation in this world. We live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. But still there is peace. Why? Because Christ has overcome the world. In Christ, we are, what does it say in Romans 8? We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. None of this can define us. None of this can work for our ill any longer in Christ. All things work together for good. Christ has overcome the world. This is the kind of peace that God has. This is the kind of peace that God gives. This is the kind of peace that Christ has had on the earth as a, as a real man and gave to His disciples. The most important part of this peace that we have to understand, though, is it's also positional peace. That's the point of Paul saying, in Christ Jesus, you can't have this peace outside of union with Christ. It's a positional peace. It's not something you feel first. It's something you have first because of Christ. Right? We're all born into the world and enemies of God, right? We love our sin. God hates our sin. That puts us at enmity with God. We deserve His wrath. There is war between us and God. We love sin. He hates it. He must judge it. Now that's the place of anxiety right there, right? Full, full on fear. But what happened? Christ on the cross removed the hostility, removed the enmity between us and God. So now there's peace. There's relational peace between us and God. If we, by faith, trust in Christ, God reconciles us to himself through Christ. The hostility is gone. The wrath has been absorbed. We are now clothed in righteousness. God calls us His sons and daughters. There's no more anger, no more hostility between us and God. Now we belong to Him. So this positional peace that a believer has was purchased by Christ on the cross. It must be received by faith in Christ's finished work. And it's, it's the result of being in union with Christ. All that Christ has is yours. In salvation. 
That's the beginning of understanding true peace. See, that's the, the, the issue that comes along in counseling so often when we're trying to counsel about anxiety is that we skip right over the most important part of, of peace, and that's the position we have with God. That's where the experience of peace flows out of. We try to practice different methods of gaining human peace, and we miss that union with Christ that brings us into peace with God through the saving work of, of Christ. That's where peace begins. Because if you're at peace with God, and He loves you in Christ, then nothing can take you and sever you from that love. Again, Romans 8. You can't get away from that text, can you? Romans 8 is like a magnet for our hearts. Surpassing peace. We notice this also. It surpasses all understanding. How many times have you heard a believer say, in the midst of a crushing circumstance, it really doesn't make sense, but I'm at peace. Or others looking from the outside in on them, they're at peace in this. That's, that blows my mind. How can they have that kind of peace? So expect the peace that can control the situation of someone who is in Christ. Expect it to be something that is beyond human understanding. It's beyond natural human reason. In fact, you need the mind of Christ to understand it. 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16 The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him because they're spiritually discerned. This kind of peace that we gain from our position in Christ is something beyond natural understanding. It's something that comes directly from understanding who we are in Christ. The mind of Christ is needed. And it's above the circumstances. Again, it's, it's regardless of the circumstances. Mark 4, 35-38, Jesus, Jesus' peace was such that He could sleep in the boat while the storm was raging. And all of this builds up to a, what we'll call a guarding peace. It's, the, it's God's peace. It's a positional peace first. It's a surpassing peace beyond human reason, above human circumstances. And it's a guarding peace. Again, this is a wonderfully special word that should put an image in your mind of a, of a city that is potentially under siege, but around this city are soldiers that are impregnable. There's a garrison around the city. And that garrison, that, that guard, prevents the hostile invasion. And it also prevents the inhabitants of the city from running out in panic and then being, being slaughtered. And so this peace, and here's what Paul's connection, this peace guards us against succumbing to invading thoughts that would tempt us and overcome us with anxiety. And this peace guards us against from internal racing into panic. And so to sum this up, being at peace in the midst of any troubling earthly circumstance comes from being at peace with the sovereign of the universe. That has to come first. And knowing that you belong to Him who is greater than all, and that He has the absolute power to govern all things according to His wisdom for your good and His glory. That's the peace of God. That is the peace that conquers anxiety and fear. So how do we enjoy that? Follow God's plan here for, for enjoying that peace. You have it as a believer, you, but you need to appropriate it. And so we looked at the first, the first three points last week. And I'll just breeze through them quickly here. Number one, Paul says rejoice in the Lord. This is verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's our frontline response. It's the first priority in answering anxiety. Yes, it's going to mean fighting against your feelings, but we must rejoice in the Lord when we are under the pressures of that, that would tempt us to be anxiety, to be anxious. This is the same thing as saying fear the Lord. What does it mean then to rejoice in the Lord? Number one, we said it's to recite the attributes of God, to be glad in His perfections. To know God's perfections through His Word. To know God's perfections through Word-filled books and songs and recordings. To fill your heart with the knowledge of God. To meditate on the meaning of God's perfections. When we say perfections, when you hear me say perfections, that's talking about God's attributes, His qualities, what He is like, who He is. 
and to meditate on the implication of God's perfections for you in any given situation. And then secondly, having recited the attributes of God in our heart to be glad in those, then we remember that we as believers are bound to Him by His steadfast love. His presence is with us. His promises are to us. His power is for us. And you apply that to any given moment of anxiety. That's the first thing to be done. So if you would be at peace, first of all, rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, last week we looked at number two as well, rest in God's presence. This is the the second verse here in this text. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness, remember, that means gentle forbearance, patient steadfastness. In other words, in circumstances that tempt you to be anxious in your heart and move into angry words or actions, we are then at rest. Or when you're tempted to be anxious on the inside and be sharp and short in your words and actions toward people, instead, reasonableness is reflected from you. Gentle forbearance with people. Patient steadfastness under circumstances. Let it be known. That's part of bringing glory to God, isn't it? When someone under great stress and anxious circumstances is reasonable, that brings glory to God if they're in Christ because you know that God is at work in their hearts. Well, how can someone be like that? How can we be like that? The truth comes right with the command. The Lord is at hand. He's with you. He is imminent. He is near with reference to space and time. He is with us now. Psalm 46, very present help. 2 Peter 3, He is coming soon. So you have all the help you need right now, right here, and you have all the hope you need in knowing that He's coming soon. Number three, we looked at last week again. Replace anxiety with prayer. And this is where Paul says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but replacing that in everything by prayer. Don't be anxious about anything. Stop being continually anxious. Stop worrying all the time. In every troubling scenario, stop frantically trying to control it by human resources. Our knee-jerk reaction all too often is to quickly scramble, to anxiously scramble to solve problems by human means as quickly as possible. Anxious thoughts, anxious words, anxious actions. Paul says, don't do that with anything. Instead, and his command is all-encompassing, right? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, replace patterns of anxiety with prayer. Why? Because isn't that going to God? That's, going, that, that, that's turning our eyes away from ourselves and going to God. We looked at this last week. By prayer, you're going to God with reverence and worship. Supplication. Supplication. Begging. And that's a responsive face. You, you, you go to God and you plead with Him. You urgently pray. You, you cast your desires upon Him, your anxiety upon Him. That's a response of faith because we know that we have nothing apart from Him. And He alone has what we need and He's willing to give. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let your prayer be filled with thanksgiving. Everything in the life of a believer is a gift. Every pleasing moment, every training moment. All of it's better than we deserve. All of it is given in Christ by a loving Heavenly Father. There was a bunch of texts I gave to you last week on this. Let me, let me just invite you to turn to some of them with me and see how much we have to be thankful for even in the midst of very pressing circumstances. Look at um, Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 16 through 19. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we all may also be glorified with Him. Is there anything to give thanks for there in pressing circumstances? Heirs, children, glorified with Him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. These are Paul's thoughts of thanksgiving even in the most crushing circumstances that would tempt us to be anxious. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, that could, that could cause anxiety, couldn't it? When your outer self wastes away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Give thanks for that hope, that promise. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 10. When He comes, when Christ comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. We have so much to give thanks for. Just looking ahead to see what's coming. 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1, 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see him, you believed in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Turn over to chapter 4, same book. So much to give thanks for as we look ahead to what's coming and the fruit that will be born through those difficult circumstances that would tempt us to be anxious. Paul calls us to thanksgiving instead. Chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that, he also, that you also may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then tell your requests to God. Pray, supplicate, give thanks. Let your requests be made known to God as your Father. Share with Him your heart. And He will, he will care for you. Number four, new material this morning. Two more points. How do I follow God's plan for guiding my heart? Number four, redirect your thoughts. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Redirect your thoughts. Sometimes this section, verses 8 and 9, is sort of disconnected from the previous verses. 
I think it's important to keep all of this as a unit. And you can see that the, the theme is the same. Notice, again, why, why am I connecting these verses, 8 and 9, with 4 through 7? Because, again, we're talking about the peace of God in contrast to our anxiety. And notice here, at the end of this section, we have, again, a reference to the God of peace. So keep these together. Keep these verses together. And consider verse 8 now, then, in the context of answering anxiety. Here's the point that Paul is getting at. We're to never let our circumstances lead our thinking. It happens all the time. But we're called to something different as believers in Christ. We're never to let our mind be like a car in neutral. Let what's coming at us push it wherever it goes. That's not the way the Christian mind is to be. Or an unanchored boat. You know, you're just being tossed around by whatever information is coming at you. Paul calls us to something entirely different here. To be proactive with our thinking in Christ. Paul is telling us here to direct the thoughts of our minds. To lead our thinking. I'm not sure there's anything more difficult to do in the life of a believer, especially when you've got a lot of weight on you from the circumstances around you. You're being tempted to anxiety and fear, and now you're to lead your thoughts in a different direction? To tell your mind what to think. Better yet, to let your mind be led by the Holy Spirit. To let Him tell your mind what to think. Someone might say, well, I can't help what I think. You ever thought that? I can't help what I think. Whatever I think is what I think. And Paul says, and what Paul says here contradicts that. He exhorts us to think on these things. There it is. That's a command. In Christ, think about these things. The Scripture always tells us to let our minds be led by the Holy Spirit. For example, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Let your heart be governed by the Holy Spirit. And when you do, what's going to happen? You'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks, there it is again, right? Thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or Colossians 3, a very similar text with some different emphasis. Colossians 3 14 to 17. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it be the the governing presence in your heart, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Very similar themes. Can you see the crossover between what Paul is calling us to do and what he's telling us also here in Colossians and Ephesians? Let the Spirit rule. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the Word of Christ rule. Be filled with thanksgiving. Sing and speak these kinds of things. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. This is... This is how we lead our minds, how we submit our minds to the Holy Spirit. 
So what are we to redirect our thoughts toward then? And Paul answers, he says, think about these things. What things? And he says, whatever that you see several times here, that's a quantitative word. Everything that has these qualities. Everything that has these qualities. As many things as have these qualities. You can think about them. Direct your thinking toward these things. And Paul here gives us two main categories of what to think about. Notice how the text unfolds. First, verse 8 says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. And then it's kind of a different way of expressing his thoughts. He says, if there is any excellence... And if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I'm going to argue from this text that that's the two categories of things that Paul has in mind for us to direct our minds toward. Excellent things and praiseworthy things. What do I mean by excellent things? Anything and everything that is morally good or righteous before God. Thoughts, feelings, actions that have godly virtue. Excellent. Morally good, righteous before God. That's a big category of things, right? Whatever is, anything that is. And what's worthy of praise? Something that deserves and elicits compliment or praise or exaltation from us. And then for each of those two categories, Paul gives three words. And that's what we see previous to this. In the beginning of verse 8. So, excellent things are things that are true and honorable and just. Praiseworthy things are pure, lovely, and commendable. So, let's just think about those again a little bit here. Excellent things are true. True. Anything that is universally true and real. You see, anxiety, doesn't anxiety sort of tend to lead us to to think untrue thoughts? To assume of what's going to happen? To even exaggerate our situation? Doesn't anxiety do that to us? I think it's very important then that when our minds are filled with that kind of anxiety, or we're tempted at least with that, and we begin to think about things and really make assumptions that are untrue and to exaggerate, to replace those thoughts with simply what is true. What does God say is true? The truth about God. The truth about the people around you. The truth about God's good gifts. Think about what is honorable. In other words, what is dignified, what is worthy, what is noble. Anxiety tends to lead us to think disparaging thoughts about everything. And so we're called to replace those kinds of thoughts by noticing the value of God and His creation around us. What is just? Well, that means what is right, what's fair, what's equitable. Again, anxiety tends to lead us to think pessimistic thoughts, looking on the dark side. And Paul is calling us to replace those thoughts with Focusing on God's goodness, on justice, on righteousness. There's also praiseworthy things. Things that are pure. What does that mean? Integral. Undefiled. And again, that sort of thinking, anxious thinking, fearful thinking, that can tend to lead us to think impure thoughts. Sinful avenues of escape or self-pity. And instead, we'll replace those thoughts with thoughts of the holy and pure satisfaction that we have in Christ. Things that are lovely, Paul says. Pleasing, acceptable. Again, anxiety leads us to think degrading thoughts. And we can replace those thoughts with the beauty of God and and His nature and works. Commendable, to speak well of something. Anxiety tends to lead us to think discontentedly about Everything, discontented thoughts and discontented words, words of complaint. And again, we're called to replace those thoughts with thoughts of gratitude, contentment, thanksgiving, exaltation in the manifold grace of God toward us and toward His creation. 
And so again, he says, these are the things that we're called to direct our minds toward. Think about these things. Think about these things. Give careful thought to these. Spend time processing these things. Fix your thoughts on those. Lead your thoughts by first and foremost rejoicing in the Lord. Lead your thoughts by what you put in front of your eyes. Scripture, the books you read, sure, things you see on video, they can all be helpful into redirecting your thoughts. Sometimes so much of what we put in front of our eyes tends to increase our anxiety. We're not called to be ignorant of the world around us, but we're called to direct our thoughts to the greatness and glory of God. Lead your thoughts by what you put in your ears, the scripture you listen to, the music you listen to, the biographies you listen to. Spend time in the beauty of God's creation. Don't forget, I mean, we, we, we enjoy doing that here in the UP. The Lord has put wonderful creation around us. That's part of God's revelation too. And that's part of the excellence and praiseworthiness of, of what we are to direct our thoughts toward. Look at what God has done. Look at His power and glory demonstrated all around us. That's a powerful aspect of God's creation. Spend time in the beauty of God's creation. Spend time in the love of God's people. That helps you to overcome your anxiety just by sharing them with someone else and hearing them help you to direct your thoughts in a different direction. Paul has such good counsel here. Whatever's true, whatever is honorable, think about the specific application of these categories of things that, that he suggests to us, that he commands for us to think about. They're specific, they're purposeful. Think about these things. Proverbs 4.23, what does it say? Guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Or Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but instead, what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. Think on these things. Finally, this morning, the, the, the fifth point here in, in Paul's text, rehearse these things. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. This is a very interesting verse to consider the main thing that Paul commands here is practice these things. Practice this. To exercise yourself toward this, to this pattern, all that we've talked about so far, from rejoicing in the Lord all the way through to redirecting your thinking. Right? These are specific patterns that the Apostle Paul is saying, practice this. Get busy with it. Carry it on. Is it perfect the first time you practice something? Of course not. That's why you practice it. You fail. You struggle with it. And then you try again. In the grace of God, you try again. Practice what? These things. And notice definitively what Paul says here. The things that they learned from him. Where did they learn these things from Paul? Well, he wrote them right here. And he probably taught them these things in person as well when he came and preached to them in Philippi. They received it from him through his writings. They heard him talk about it. They saw it in him by way of his example. You see, I mean, was Paul ever someone who was, who was uh, crushed by various circumstances? Of course, and yet he practiced. They saw these responses in him. They learned it from him. They received it from him. They heard it as he talked. They saw it as he lived. The things they heard Paul say, the things they saw Paul do in seasons of trouble, the things that Paul did and said instead of being anxious. Practice what Paul taught them to think, to say, to do in, in times of temptation to anxiety. Man, you could just, here's, here's your homework for this week. Just walk through the, the letter of Philippians. And as you read through it, think, 
What could have tempted Paul to anxiety? And how does he respond to it? What are his thoughts? What are his words? What are his actions? It's an amazing letter to to take that perspective. It'll be a great help to you. Just let your eyes scan over those thoughts. And then ask God to enable us to practice what Paul exemplified here. How he thought, spoke, and acted in those times. I mean, you could just just start with chapter 1 and work your way slowly through. You see the beginning there, how he talks about persecution and yet he's thankful. You saw how he's in prison and yet he says, I want you to know this has actually served to advance the gospel. He's, he's staring death in the face and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, you can just keep going with this. It's profound. And remember, Paul's just a man like you and me. But he was filled with the Spirit. And we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit as well. Watch Paul deal with it, with anxiety. Study the epistle. How did Paul respond to his trouble? And you know, this, this can, we can apply this as well, even in a contemporary scene. Watch other mature brothers and sisters in Christ deal with their anxiety. How do they deal with it? Do they ever feel anxious? What do they feel anxious about? How do they respond to it according to God's will and God's word? Invite them into your thoughts, your anxiety, and let them show you how they handle it biblically. Isn't, isn't that an important part of being a part of the fellowship of Christ? Following other people in their faith? For example, Philippians 3. Look over at Philippians 3, verse 17. Paul says this to this church. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They ignore their shame. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You know what's a great thing to do in the body of Christ? is to look around you and see who's going through weighty circumstances that could tempt them to be very anxious and yet you see them living at peace. And then you have circumstances of your own that are tempting you to great anxiety. Why don't you go to them and say, how, how are you doing this? Can you help me with what's going on in my life? That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what the body of Christ is for. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I follow Christ. And again, practicing is a very important part of this. Spirit-dependent practicing. This response to anxiety is going to take practice. Especially since anxiety can become such an ingrained response in the troubles of life. Is anxiety so hard to break free from? Of course it is. It's so deeply ingrained into our hearts. But just like riding a bike, it'll take time. You'll fall over. Keep practicing. And remember, as you practice these things, like Paul says, and you fail, and you fail, remember, since you are in Christ, there's no condemnation for you when you fall. Right? As a believer, no condemnation, no reason for self-pity. You confess your sin to your Father. You trust in His cleansing power, and you get up in the strength of the Spirit, and you try again. God is for you in this process. Notice how it says that. You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. God is for you in the process of trading anxiety for peace. God is for you in the circumstances that are tempting you to be anxious. He has sent His Spirit to live in you to remind you of these realities. So the next time you're being tempted to anxiety, sit down, walk through this text in your mind, prayerfully depend upon the Holy Spirit to practice these things. Let me ask you a question. Do you live by the Word like that? 
when you face an inner struggle like that, do you literally spend the time in that moment to open up the Word and remind yourself of what is true? Or do you try to just handle it on your own and move on? I encourage you, bring the Word into your life. Let it lead your thoughts. And here's another promise, right? Here's the promise. The God of peace will be with you. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying, please. We use that word with, and we think, well, is there sometime God is not with me? What's he saying here? Paul isn't meaning that, that the indwelling presence of God will come and go from your heart based on how you respond, right? Sometimes he's with me, and when I mess up, he's not with me anymore. He's gone. No, no, that's, that's not what Paul means. What Paul means is that if by the Spirit of God we learn to respond to troubles this way, instead of anxiety, we'll realize and experience and enjoy God at work in us to give us His peace. We'll experience His divine help that God promises to give. I mean, just as we, by faith, move toward God, rejoicing in Him, He's at work in us already. We will know His strength. We'll know His grace. He'll be with us working for our good, right? We'll experience the truth of Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Listen, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, dear ones, to be anxious, maybe you don't realize this, maybe you do, to be anxious sinfully is to turn your back on the presence and power of God. It's to act as if it doesn't exist. Truly. And so may we turn to God when tempted to be anxious and find Him to be just what He is. Ever-present, ever-powerful, a God of peace who gives us His peace. So, Confess that to the Lord. Do you struggle with that anxiety? That fear over created earthly things? Confess it for what it is. Turn from it in repentance. Learn to respond to those troubling circumstances as this text commands us to. And we can do that only by the grace of God. As we close this morning, I want to say a word to those here or listening online that, that may not know Christ. And when I say know Christ, what I mean is know His saving power in your life. You know your, your punishment of sin has been removed. Your guilt is gone. You're righteous before God because by faith you have rested in Christ's saving work and received Him. If that is not who you are this morning... I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah 48, 22. <clears throat> it reads this. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. No peace. Why is that? Because those who love their sin, and we're all born into the world this way, we love our sin, we're at enmity with God. Right? We've talked about this so many times before. We're at enmity with God. God hates sin. Why? Because He loves righteousness. And if we're at enmity with God, God is not for us. He is against us. In fact, in John 3.36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That is not a place of peace. Right? But yet God is merciful. Listen to Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though, for though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God by the, by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you still love your sin today and are continuing in it and not in Christ then you are described in this text. We all were once described by this text. Weak, ungodly, enemies, sinners. There's no peace for those people. They're at enmity with God. But through Christ, God reconciles those people to Himself by faith. That's the only reason any of us can have peace. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you, if you have not yet come to Christ, run to Christ today. Seek His salvation from the wrath of God. Run to Christ away from sin, away from the fears, away from the wrath of God. Enjoy God's mercy, His grace, His peace. That's why all the letters of the epistles in the New Testament say, Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be yours, but you only can have it through Christ. Turn from sin. Turn from self-righteousness. You can't get peace with God by being good enough. Only through Christ. I invite you for that today, if that is not yet yours. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on your behalf so that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the way of being at peace with God. Let's stand together and we'll pray this morning and be dismissed. Our Father, this is a, a very practical text. And when we see, again, in these texts, different things to do, we tend to look to ourselves and focus on our doing. Father, even as we understand those things, may we continue to keep our eyes on You and who You are and what You promise to Your children and the peace that we have in Christ. And then... May the Holy Spirit cause all of these actions to result if we begin, Father, by rejoicing in You, Your perfections and our place in Your love. Then the rest, in a sense, happens automatically. We will go to You in prayer. We will be at rest in circumstances and with people that would tend to tempt us to anxiety. Our mind will be filled with things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And we will want to continue to exercise these thoughts and perspectives. Father, let us see you as you are. Be amazed at you. I, I ask you, Father, to open the Scriptures, open the understanding of, of all of us to see you as you are, to know you as you are, and to be amazed and in awe of your greatness and glory. It is difficult for us, Father, to maintain as fallen, sinful people living in this physical world, it's so difficult for us to maintain a high and lofty mindset of who you are and your power and promises, loving kindness to us. Draw our minds. Let us be discontent with anything lesser. Pull our minds toward you by the Spirit. So sanctify us in that way, Father, and save. Father, if there is... if there is someone listening to this message and they struggle so much with anxiety, they're conquered by it. Maybe that they would begin to understand that the, the conquest of their life by anxieties and fears 
is beginning to show them that they are not yet in Christ, help them to see that they can only be at peace by being in Christ. And may they come, Father, and confess their sin to you and confess their trust in Christ. Rest in Him. We pray this for our salvation, for our sanctification, and for your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.